Open up to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 54 through chapter 8 and verse 3. In a message I've entitled, Cut to the Heart. There's going to be a particular phrase that's going to come up here. The idea of being cut to the heart. And it's going to be something we've already seen before, so it kind of ties together with some stuff from before. Does anybody remember Hank Lucetti, a baseball or a basketball player? He was from years and years ago. He even predates me. Thank you. At least, thank you, Jeff. That's why I like you so much. You laugh at my jokes. When Hank came along, virtually every basketball player coach in the country insisted that his players shoot with two hands. Instead of two hands, Hank used a jerky funny-looking, one-handed jump shot. His coach, looking for results rather than method, was smart enough to just let him use it. The rest is basketball history, and now today almost everybody uses Hank's one-handed jump shot. Are we the kind of people that are looking for results, or are we looking for methods? As we come to this section of the book of Acts, we've been looking at, for the last couple of weeks, Stephen's address and his defense of why he believes what he believes and what he's up against, and they're trying to defend him and defraud him and get rid of him. And today we're going to come to the conclusion of that. So what are the results of his message? What are the results of his ministry? Is it going to be something that he's going to get to talk about for a long time, or does it come to a very dismal end for him? I've told you before that he dies. They're going to kill this guy, and they're not going to take any, uh, any soft hits on him. They're going to get him, and they're going to hit him hard. So let's read Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 8 and verse 3, and we'll see what God wants us to see today. So when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc at the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. (coughs) And today God wants you to see the animosity towards Stephen. These guys are just so mad at him. And there's three results of the animosity towards Stephen first result of the animosity towards Stephen 
Number one, verses 54 through 56, they provoked his death. The second result of the animosity towards Stephen, verses 57 through 60, they proclaimed his death. And then in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 8, they permitted his death. This animosity drove them to murder. And these guys were willing participants to see Stephen stoned to death. Their animosity was enormous. They just couldn't take hearing the truth of God's word. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Now this idea of being cut to the heart... The namesake for the title of the message. This is not the first place we've seen this told to us before. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, the first address of Peter after Pentecost. It says, as a result of his message, the people were cut to the heart. As a result of being cut to the heart in that message, we saw thousands of people come to know Jesus as their Savior. Because once you hear the word of God preached, once you hear the truth of God's word, in some way, it will affect you. You cannot hear the word of God and not be changed. It's going to prick at you. It's going to change you. It's going to mold you. You're going to be influenced by it somehow. The word of God really is that powerful. Martin Luther said, all you got to do is, it's like a chain lion. Just let it out and it's just going to do its thing. The Word of God is able to do everything that God wants it to do, and it will not return back to Him void. The Word of God was preached in Acts chapter 2, the end of verse 37, and people got saved. They were cut to the heart. And now as a result of Stephen's address of Acts chapter 7, this group of people is also cut to the heart. And you would expect if a group of people is cut to the heart, then this group of people is going to get saved. And you're like, yeah, they're cut to the heart. Stephen, you did a great job. This sermon, this message was fantastic. Look, we're going to have all these people come to know Jesus, and we're just going to be so thankful for this miraculous event where God is going to change hearts and lives as a result of this message. <coughs> is that what happened? When the Word of God goes out, you just let it do its thing. And in this instance, these people were so abrasive with it. They're just so antagonistic towards Stephen. The animosity towards Stephen is so high that when they are cut to the heart, they react in a completely opposite manner. We saw in chapter 2, thousands get saved. Now here in chapter 7, a man's going to die. The first martyr of the church, Stephen, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. You ever just talk to somebody who's just so mad at them? You just you don't even open up your mouth. You're just so you're just so stinking mad at them. You ever been that mad at somebody before? Maybe Rick. You're just so mad at him. You just can't even form words. They're just so mad at him. They're gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, 
Now, sometimes when people get so mad at us, they're gnashing their teeth at us, they're ridiculing us. I'm sure they were yelling at him. I'm sure they were just slinging all kinds of insults. Probably all kinds of filthy language being thrown at him because at this point, that's all they had to throw at him. They didn't pick up the rocks just yet. They were slinging all kinds of mud at him. They were so mad at him as a result of his preaching. A lot of times when people get that mad at us, we can tend to just throw it right back. We pick up the same mud that was thrown at us and we throw it back thinking we're fighting fair. Fight fire with fire, we'll say, and we'll try to justify it somehow. But Stephen gives us an example on how to behave when people are that mad at us. When the animosity is so high against Stephen, how does Stephen react? He's somebody who's full of the Holy Spirit. This has been given to him as a characterization of him many, many times now. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He gazes into heaven. He sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He understands what's truly valuable in this life. He understands that it's looking at Jesus that's what's most important. Understanding who Jesus is, where Jesus is at, and what Jesus is doing helps us get through even when people want to kill us. Knowing these things about Jesus can help us stay full of the Holy Spirit. And these people were provoking His death. The result of the message was that His death was now going to happen. They had it in their heart. They, they were cut to the heart. And now they're going to kill Him. And they know it. And they're going to do it. There's a little problem though. When you're going to stone somebody at this day and age with these laws and the rules that they had on the books at the time, you just couldn't do it inside the city walls. Couldn't do it in city limits. You got to take them out. You know, you ever go to some place and you say, you want to take this outside? Thank you. They're in essence telling him, we're going to take this outside. So they cried out with a loud voice. Not only ever they provoked his death by all this information about gnashing at him with their teeth. They're going to proclaim his death. They cry out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. These people are all together in unison. All together they were running at him. They cast him out of the city. Couldn't do it inside city limits. They knew it. And they held on just long enough to throw him outside. They stoned him. Stoned him to death. Can you imagine having rocks thrown at you for so long that eventually you die? You just kind of hope that a big enough one gets thrown hard enough to just kind of take you out at some point. I remember when I was little. Remember this story, Dad? This is what I always think of whenever I see this story in the Bible. When I was little, I'm not proud of this. When I was little, uh, some neighbor kids and I got into a little rock-throwing match with my brother, who was unarmed. (laughs) And that was not a good day. It's not fun to have rocks thrown at you, as my brother would be very happy to tell you about. That is not fun. It's not okay. 
And these guys killed him with rocks. What a way to go. So many of us get all upset when our rights get violated and you can't do that to me and on and on it goes. But this guy, knowing what it could cost him, knowing what the stakes were, knowing that these people were out to get him, knowing that everything was on the line, was willing to stand up and fight for what was right and to tell them the truth of God's word in spite of exactly what they might do to him and he knew what they were going to do to him. They'd been plotting to kill somebody at some point for a while now. And I guess, I'm guessing, that he knew his number might be called. Because they all knew somebody was going to get it at some point. It just happened to be his time. They stoned him to death. They proclaimed his death by allowing him to be stoned. The animosity towards Stephen as a result of his message was so powerful to them, instead of calling on the name of the Lord for salvation, they did quite the opposite. They stoned a man. They killed him. They let him have it. This is very typical about what we hear about people nowadays. When you try to tell somebody the truth of God's word, then one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to be okay with it, be cut to the heart, chapter 2 style, or you're going to tell them the truth of God's word and they're going to be cut to the heart, chapter 7 style. And you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. Stephen might have had a guess. But as we talk to people, as we share our faith, as we go through life, as we do things, as we do this and we do that, we do not know how people are going to react or respond to the truth of God's word. Does this mean we should get scared to tell people because we don't know if they're going to be a chapter 7 cut to the heart? Should we be intimidated? Should we be timid? We should never be scared, intimidated, or timid when we think about sharing the message of the gospel with people. Which begs the question, how many times did you do that this week? And if your answer is zero, why is it zero? Well, I just didn't have anybody to talk to. You're telling me God didn't bring nobody into your life? Would you not leave your bedroom all week? You saw people this week. You really did. Are you scared? Do you not know how? Are you intimidated? Do you need help? Do you need training? Do you need to talk to somebody? I didn't get any messages this week about you know, needing help with sharing the gospel with people. I didn't get any this week. Zero. So I'm going to guess everybody's good. Stephen knew what it was going to cost him. He did it anyway. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses came and laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So, you know, they have these robes and these garments, you know, and we've talked about girding up, you know, and when I came in my, you know, native Indonesian attire that one day, remember that? You know, it was really long and flowing, and I, I understood that day what it meant to gird up something. Because I couldn't hardly walk in that thing, but if I pulled it up a little bit, I could walk freely. I girded it up. 
Well, they've got all these clothes and stuff like that. And, you know, I can't imagine like with this suit coat on, as nice as it looks, it would be really hard to get a good throw on something. So I'm going to, you know, take this off, you know, maybe take that little robe thing off so I can really throw these rocks at this guy. Well, I don't want it to get stolen. If only there was somebody that could be entrusted with these clothes so that we could get after this guy and kill him with these rocks. Who could we find to help us out so that we could stone this guy? Well, it would have to be somebody that was consenting to it, who was okay with it. I mean, if we just decided to stone Shirley, I, I, somebody would say, don't do that. Hopefully anyway, right? I'm sure somebody would stand up and say, please don't stone Shirley. Thank you. You got a couple in here, Shirley, so that's good. Probably more than I would get. We try to stop it. Just making sure everybody's awake still. We would try to stop it. This guy that they had helped them with keeping the clothes did not stop the stoning of Stephen. The stoning of Stephen was provoked and proclaimed. This guy, what's his name? Saul. Well, that's interesting. Hmm. Think we're going to know anything more about this guy, Saul, by the time we're done? Yes. We're going to know a little bit more about this guy. But you know, here's his humble beginning. This is the first time that this, this young man, he's called a young man here. I don't know what that means to you, but the Bible calls him a young man at this point. He's a young man. This is the first time we're going to meet this guy. He's consenting to the death. He's okay with it. He's okay with this Christian being killed. When do you suppose he got there? You think he just showed up? You think he heard the crowd saying, let's go stone this guy, and they start dragging him out, and Saul goes, huh? I'll come along. Or do you think that he heard the message of Stephen? The Bible doesn't say but you're telling me there's a chance that he heard everything Stephen had to say? He might have. He might have been there this whole time. He too would have been cut to the heart. In an Acts 7 way, not an Acts 2 way. And as he dies... Stephen, calling on God, says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, just like Jesus said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Now what Jesus said too when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen did the exact same thing, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Sleep is a euphemism in the Bible for death. We see this many times in 1 Corinthians and other places. Jesus talks about death being like sleep. So this is a normal, common occurrence that he just fell asleep. But this animosity towards Stephen, wow. They provoked his death, they proclaimed his death, and now they, this guy Stephen is permitting his death, or, or Saul, I'm sorry, next Chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, Saul was consenting to his death. 
he is allowing it. He is actively allowing Stephen to be stoned. He didn't try to stop it. He's not trying to get in the way. He's not trying to do something about it. He's not saying anything. He's not saying, hey guys, I don't know if we should be doing this or not. He's not doing any of this stuff. He's consenting to the death of Stephen. He's permitting it. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. Now, this is going to mark a significant shift for us in the book of Acts. This is kind of a marker for us. You remember the outline for the book of Acts? We're going to preach the word in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Remember that from Acts chapter 1? So far, we've been talking about stuff in Jerusalem. Stephen's killed in Jerusalem. The apostles set up shop in Jerusalem. Where do we find the first deacons coming from? Jerusalem. Everything's about Jerusalem. So far, everything's in Jerusalem. But now there's persecution that has been arising. It doesn't tell us all the different kinds of persecution. I'm sure there's a lot. There's almost 10,000 or so new believers since Pentecost. I'm sure they're all facing their own sense of persecution and doing all different kinds of things. We're told in the scriptures about the apostles and their persecution. Stephen now has been the first martyr for the church. So clearly there's significant persecution bubbling up. It's starting to boil, starting to flow over a little bit now with a death. We don't know what some of the other people are experiencing, but it's becoming quite hot and quite heavy in Jerusalem. As a result, what are some of them going to do? They're going to get out of town. It's a little too much for me right here in Jerusalem. I'm going to go I'm not going to move to the other side of the world, but we're just not going to stay in Jerusalem anymore. Maybe we, maybe we got friends or family, there's somebody you know, down the road, something like that, and we're just going to go and we're going to move to the you know, Judea, Samaria areas and just stay real close yet. But that's okay. God had said that He wants them to preach in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. We've been going through this whole time, and they're still in Jerusalem. The death of Stephen caused this early church to go out of their comfort zone so that the word of God would continue to spread. God used what we see as a tragedy for some greater good. Have you ever noticed that in life, that God can use what we see as a tragedy for some greater good? We see things as bleak or hopeless. We see things that aren't good, things that we don't like, things that we wouldn't have voted for, things that we don't appreciate or understand. And we think, why did God allow this to happen? Why is God allowing Stephen to get killed? Why is God allowing this persecution to just bubble up and arise in Jerusalem? Why does God allow some of these bad things to happen? Did you know sometimes if you peer back the curtain a little bit, you can see some of why God allows certain things to happen in our lives? God allows this sort of stuff to happen because He wanted them to be able to take the gospel and branch out a little bit. It's almost as if God's kicking them a little bit to say, guys, I told you you need to go out to Jerusalem and you know, Judea and Samaria. You've got to leave Jerusalem to do that. Maybe with Stephen gone, you guys will start to do that. Maybe. 
Sometimes it takes loss for us to do stuff to get outside of our comfort zone. And sometimes I think of my dad when I think of that too. And you're probably thinking, oh boy, now what is he going to say? Jeepers. This is, once is enough, right? You know, when you lost your job at Butterfields, it seemed like all hope was lost. Now what are you going to do? Now you've been at Don John Deere for almost 20 years and probably the best thing never happened to you. But the day, but that, that last day at the shop was sucked, I'm sure. To walk out of there, but you know, sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives so that better things can happen. Do we see tragedies or incidents or situations or circumstances like that? We don't always do that, do we? We want everything to be how we want it right now today. And it just needs to stay that way. And God says, you know what? I'm going to bring Stephen up home with me. That's not a bad thing, by the way, first of all. If it means you guys will start to go out and preach the gospel beyond just Jerusalem. Because that's what I want from you anyway. Sometimes those times of tragic loss are exactly what we need to propel ourselves to do something better, to do something greater, to do something more significant. Oftentimes we're just too confined to our own little comfort zones. And God doesn't always just want you to stay in your comfort zone. It's okay to branch out. It's okay to go beyond. It's okay to try new things and go new places. It's okay. Most of us don't always have the courage for that. Angie, I was inspired by you. Put yourself on a ballot. It's okay to branch out and try something new and see what God can do with you when you go out beyond just your own four walls. What could God do with a group of people that's willing to go beyond what they're just used to doing? God is able to do all kinds of really wonderful things with people who are ready to serve Him. I know there's a lot of questions. I know there can be a lot of wondering and a lot of worry that goes on with this sort of stuff. I get it. But God is able to provide for the needs of everything that you're going to have when you go out in faith for Him. Sometimes we will face animosity like Stephen. Sometimes we will face persecution. Hopefully we don't get killed in the process. But what are you willing to give in service for the king? Some of us have limits. I'll serve God as long as I get to keep my car. I'm willing to serve God as long as I don't lose my... And you fill in the blank, right? Because that's what you think you need. As if to say, I don't think, God, you could replace my car. Because if it wasn't for me, I wouldn't have that car anyway. So, Lord, I don't, I'm just not sure if you can replace that or not. Lord, I'm not so sure if you could provide for this need. If I really stepped out in faith, I'm not sure if you could really provide for me or not. Sometimes we face these 
challenges and these issues. I'm thankful that Stephen was brave enough to step up to the plate and to tell these people who were willing to condemn him to death and to eventually actually kill him. He was willing to step up to the plate and tell them everything they needed to know about who God is and what he's done, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and what they need to do as a result. And sure, they killed him. But God was able to use that event to spread out the disciples now to go on beyond just Jerusalem. We now see this very evidently here. They were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stuck around. They kept headquarters in Jerusalem. That's probably not a big surprise. But you know what? God can use everybody in his program. Sure, the apostles are really great. Okay, Superstars. Got it. But can God use even the disciples to share the message of the gospel in the uttermost parts of the world, in Judea and Samaria? Can God really do that? Of course he can. And the apostles can stay camped in Jerusalem. That's fine. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. They were sad about this, and rightfully so, but that's okay. As for Saul... So our attention now is going to turn to a young man named Saul. And for many of the next many, many weeks, we're going to be reading about this young man named Saul. As for Saul, he made havoc in the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And the Bible wants you and me to know and have great understanding of who this Saul is before we get a lot further with him. The Bible wants you to have absolute crystal clear instructions on what this guy did. His former conduct, as is written in other letters of the New Testament. The Bible wants you to be abundantly clear about this guy's former conduct and what he was capable of and what he did, how he acted, how he responded, what his lifestyle choices were like, how he handled everything. And as for Saul, he made havoc in the church. And he gives us a couple of examples But if you think that what you've done in your life is too messed up, too bad, too unredeemable, too crazy, that God couldn't couldn't save me, God couldn't forgive the things that I've done, you don't understand what's happened in my life. God couldn't forgive somebody like me. Don't you understand what I've done is just too bad, too wrong, too vile, too evil. God could never forgive somebody like me. God would never want somebody like me. Jesus couldn't have died for somebody like me. The Bible wants you to have absolute crystal clear understanding of what Saul has been up to in consenting to the death of Stephen, standing there, taking the clothes, keeping him safe so that everybody could kill this guy. He's consenting to his death. He's making havoc within the church. He's not just making havoc because he can. He's making havoc in the church because he's trying to prove a point. He's trying to rustle this up. He's trying to make these guys uncomfortable. 
He's making havoc in the church. He's entering houses like a Gestapo officer. Dragging people off into prison. Why? Just because of their faith in Christ? Yeah, because of their faith in Christ. And Saul is the mastermind behind all of this. Making havoc within the church. You have anybody like that in your life who just lives to make your life miserable? Maybe they're at work. And all their only purpose in life is to make you miserable. You have anybody like this in your life? In the early church, they did. And his name was Saul. He lived and he breathed to make Christians' lives miserable. And we're going to see what God can do with a guy like this. And it's going to take us a long, long time to get through this guy's life. There's going to be a lot of stories about this guy, and you probably know who this guy is because he doesn't stay Saul for very long, does he? And we're going to see what God can do with a guy like this. And if God can do anything with somebody like this, what can he do with you? Because I'm going to guess that the things that you've done in your life aren't not nearly as bad as what Saul has done. And God can take this kind of guy and do something pretty spectacular with him. But you don't think God can take you and do something spectacular with you? Of course he can. Of course he can. How devoted are you to serving our God? I think that's probably a better question. Not can he, but will you let him? Are you going to work with him? Are you going to work against him? When the word of God comes into your life, are you the kind of person who's going to be cut to the heart, repent, and believe in Jesus and now live for God? Or are you going to be the kind of person who when you hear the word of God, you're cut to the heart and you want to throw up walls? You want to see people die. You want to see people not enjoying their Christian life. You want to be as far away from that as possible. You're one of two kinds of people. You may not want to admit it, but those are the two types of people when they're cut to the heart, when they hear the word of God. I trust the word acts two kind of people who are cut to the heart. And I look forward to in the few next few weeks talking about this young man named Saul. Because that's where it's going. Let's pray.